Welcome to the Cloudonaut podcast. My name is Andreas and you are listening to volume 3 of the AWS to go series. Get started with AWS or broaden your knowledge while walking, biking, running, driving or whenever you enjoy listening to podcasts. There are three things I want to highlight before we get started. First, the AWS to go series is based on our book Amazon Web Services in Action published by Manning. And we are currently in the progress of writing the third edition. The Most of the chapters, the manuscript has been handed over to the publisher. So you are able to read most of the chapters already online and the printed book will follow within the next few months. So check out the show notes for details. Second, AWS expertise is in high demand. For example, our partner TechRacer is looking for a cloud consultant with a focus on AWS serverless development. Uh, TechRacer is a premier AWS consulting partner with um, branches in Germany, Austria, Portugal, and Switzerland. And to become a cloud consultant with focus on serverless development, you should <laughs> um, be interested in serverless, Lambda, Python, Node.js, or Go as the programming languages. And actually... Um, yeah, try build really cool stuff based on those serverless technologies. And our other partner is Demicon. And Demicon is an advanced consulting partner um, based in Germany, and they are looking for cloud solution architects with a focus on AWS. So the skill set that you need to have there is um, GitLab, Terraform, or infrastructure as code in general, Kubernetes, EKS, Lambda, Python, maybe Go, um, so that's your, your skill set there to build cloud solutions. You will find links to the open job descriptions in the show notes as well. And third, I want to welcome Stefan to the show. Stefan is a web and front-end developer, and he just gets started with all things AWS. And that is why I'm inviting him to this show where we really dive into AWS step-by-step -step and I've getting him to this journey and he's here basically to also ask all the questions that beginners have. Um, so Stefan, welcome to the show. Hi everyone. Hi Andreas. Thanks for the invitation again. Yeah. Yeah. It's the third time, Stefan. Nice to have you again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, so let's get started. So the topic for today is Elastic Compute Cloud, probably better known as Easy2. And in case you want to follow along, check out chapter three of our book, AWS in Action. Okay, so let's get started. So I would say EC2 is one of the most fundamental services of AWS because, um, in other words, EC2 is about starting a virtual machine in the cloud. So that's something we have been probably doing for quite some time before AWS was around as well. So a virtual machine um, to start that in a data center and being able to control that, run your server stuff there. And that's basically what EC2 is about. Of course, <laughs> there are a lot of details about EC2 as well that we will dive into during this episode. But overall, yeah, it's about launching a virtual machine. And Stefan, did you launch an EC2 instance? That's basically the name for a virtual machine on AWS already. Never. <laughs> Never. Okay. So Never. That's, that's perfect. So let me walk you through the progress. 
So what's what's needed um, to launch an EC2 instance on AWS? Okay, so of course you need an AWS account, all of that. We discussed that in the previous episodes already. Um, but as soon as you're logged into the AWS Management Console, for example, there are three steps that you need to go through. The first step is um, you need to choose basically the starting point. You're choosing the image of the virtual appliance that you're going to launch. AWS calls this image an Amazon machine image. Of course, they have their own name for everything. Yeah, and that's AMI. That's the, the, the short form. And the first thing you do is you select one of the available Amazon machine images. There's a basically you can think of it like a huge catalog of machine images available. Mm -hmm. um, probably the most popular that I use typically is Amazon Linux. So they have their own Linux distribution. Um, and you can launch that or Windows. There's Windows machine images available as well or other, um, I don't know, a Red Hat or I don't know, whatever you can think of, basically Debian, what have you. Um, and you choose one of those images. And by the way, not only AWS provides those AMIs, also third parties mm -hmm. can do so. So for example, we do so uh, when we sell our bucket AV um, virus scan for S3 buckets, we build an AMI and sell that uh, through a so-called marketplace as well. So yeah, there are a lot of AMIs out there. <laughs> and you can also build your own. Um, then those are private ones that no one else can uh, access. So yeah, but that's the thing you start with. That's basically the image. So the image, the most important stuff in there is basically a snapshot uh, of a volume that contains the operating system at least and maybe even more stuff libraries maybe even the whole application that you want to run installed on that so that's the first thing so let's assume you're choosing just the default which is amazon linux and then the next question that you get asked when you follow through the research in the management console is about the instance type so I haven't counted them, but nowadays there are probably hundreds of different instance types available. The instance type basically um, defines the compute resources that AWS assigns to your virtual machine. So the number of virtual CPU cores, the memory, and then there are a lot of detailed attributes <laughs> that um, are dependent on the instance type as well. So stuff like um, um, disks that are um, attached to the hardware where your virtual machine runs uh, or um, specific, um, for example, uh, graphic cards uh, that are available to the virtual machine. Really a lot of different stuff. But in, in general, you are choosing the number of CPUs and the memory for your machine that you want to launch. Okay, so that's basically the instance type that you choose. So they have funny names. Uh, so for example, uh, let's say M5, Dot large m5 in this case is the so-called instance family and then we have mm -hmm. uh, basically in t-shirt sizes you have a small large medium x large uh, 2x large and so on uh, and basically the the idea here is um by increasing the instance size so for example from m5 large to m5 x large you're doubling usually your uh, CPU and memory capacity. 
Uh -huh. And also, typically, the price doubles as well. <laughs> so, which means uh, you get um, the you can increase CPU and memory by two uh, two times, but also the price doubles. And that means um, also the other way around. You can uh, instead of having one big machine, you can have two smaller ones, and basically pay the same amount of money for it. That's that's quite interesting. Okay, so that's the instance type, and then. Um, the next step in the research is the complicated one because then AWS asks you a lot of details about your virtual machine. So I will give you a few examples. I don't want to talk to all of them now. I think not all of them are that important, but a few I want to highlight. So, uh, for example, details that you can now configure is uh, stuff like um, you can configure the networking configuration for your instance basically add um, virtual network adapters to your machine or uh, you can define the so the firewall rules for your machine which is called a security group you can add an IAM role to your machine to allow the instance to access certain other aws resources for example um, and uh, a lot of that uh, a lot of stuff like that. So really the details of configuring your virtual machine, for many of those you can just keep the defaults, but that's um, available to you for configuration. And then when you hit the launch button, uh, what happens is that in the background, AWS spins up a virtual machine for you. And typically that takes, I would say, a minute or two, something like that is the typical time mm -hmm. for that to happen. And then as soon as the instance is available, you're then able to connect to the machine and you have really administrator access to the machine or root access. Um, so you re really can change the machine in any way you want to. So you're not restricted. You're not, that's not a restricted user or something like that. You have full control over the machine. As it was, as it was my hardware at home. <laughs> exactly. Like you had a, a server at home or, um, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so so that's basically in a very fast <laughs> going through the details. This is how you launch a virtual machine and the main questions you have to decide on. And then um, maybe the next thing is, so have you ever connected to a server machine? Mm, no, not really. Um, no. Okay. So, so typically, when you have to log into a web server or something, um, you use SSH. Yeah, so that's yeah. Um, a protocol yeah. that you use to securely uh, establish basically a shell on a remote machine. And um, that is possible with Easy2 instances as well. But um, that's um, what I'm not using that anymore. So I have been using that a lot in the past. But nowadays, there is, a, I would say, more modern approach available on AWS, which is also uh, what we are using in AWS in action in the book and also everywhere else <laughs> where we um, um, tell others how to connect to EC2 instances because the problem with SSH or for Windows machi machines, it's called RDP, Remote Desktop Protocol. Um, the problem with that is you need network access to the machine. So typically, many, many uh, developers spin up an EC2 instance with a public IP address and then they open the port 22 for SSH to be able to connect with the machine. And the issue with that is you don't have an open protocol on the internet that basically everyone can 
drives you use to get access to your machine as well. So you have to make sure you follow mm -hmm. best practicing regarding passwords and keys and stuff like that. And um, another approach is um, the so that's really a funny AWS service name. <laughs> it's called the AWS Systems Manager Session Manager. <laughs> that's really the name <laughs> of that feature. So I don't know what they're sounds smoking. complicated. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Everyone is making fun of that name, by the way. <laughs> so I'm not the only one. <laughs> and the, um, the idea behind um, the... I just called it Session Manager. <laughs> of course, the whole name is <laughs> just too crazy. And the idea behind that is basically that on the EC2 machine, you have an agent running. And the agent connects to an AWS backend service, the Systems Manager. And now... Um, when I want to connect to my virtual machine, I do also connect to that AWS service, the systems manager. And basically my connection gets tunneled through that service to the machine. So the connectivity goes, the EC2 instance established a connection with the service. And I am from my local machine also establishing a connection to the AWS systems manager. Mm -hmm. And by that, I do not need to open any outbound ports, network ports that are available because basically the connectivity sh starts from the EC2 instance and connects to the backend from AWS. And that's really, um, I would say, um, from a security perspective, very interesting because I don't have to deal with all those stuff anymore. And also, no. um, as a side effect, I don't need um, to manage keys or passwords pass them around with my coworkers and stuff. Instead, I'm using the same authentication mechanism that AWS uses to authenticate a user. So basically, if you have access to log into the management console, AWS management console, you can also get granted access to connect to the machines as well. And that's the same user that you're using. So that's really uh, powerful. That's why we are um, yeah, suggesting to use the AWS systems manager session manager to connect to your EC2 instances. Mm -hmm. Like this, the session, session manager just reminded me of like, at least how you explained it, maybe I misunderstood it, but um, not a bouncer, but that you're not directly talking to the person who is in charge, but mm -hmm. you're just talking to a person and this person goes then to mm -hmm. the person in charge. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, yeah, that's correct. It's kind of a proxy in between. Yeah, you're correct. Mm -hmm. And um, um, the, the funny thing is that, so first of all, in the AWS management console, there is even a web uh, interface for all of that. So you basically can just open a shell on your machine without leaving the browser. That's very cool for quickly jumping on a machine and checking things out. But also, if you really want to, you can integrate that on into your local setup. So I have been doing that. I can, I can link a, a link to a blog post where I describe how that works. And basically what I do is from my local terminal, I can open and I really do open SSS con SSH connection, but I'm tunneling it basically through the systems manager, session manager. So mm -hmm. basically, it uses HTTPS under the hood, but I'm tunneling my HTT and my SSH session through that. <laughs> so that's really <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's for some it might be even a security nightmare because if you are a network administrator at a large company, you're typically trying to restrict outbound SSH connections like that. And now 
I'm just yeah. turning that over HTTPS and no one knows. <laughs> but yeah, but on the other I really think that's a powerful and secure way to connect to your EC2 instances. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then as soon as you're logged into your virtual machine, as we talked about, you are now able to, for example, install packages um, um, and configure, I don't know, an Apache web server or install any software on the machine. Um, so you have really administrator uh, access to this machine. Okay, so um, one aspect, um, as soon as your virtual machine is running, um, you might um, need to troubleshoot the machine. <laughs> so what happens when the machine does no longer respond or stuff like that or uh, something goes wrong? Um, so um, one thing that is really helpful is um, it's called CloudWatch. And CloudWatch is a service mm -hmm. that basically collects metrics from all other AWS services. And also that's true, for, of course, for EC2. So when you have a running EC2 instance, um, metrics like the CPU utilization um, or the network utilization get, get, are getting pushed to CloudWatch and you're able to watch them there, basically. Or when you go through the management console, they just uh, show up when you select an instance. So that's how you can get um, a little bit of a feeling for an instance. For example, if you see, I don't know, the CPU cap utilization is 100% for hours, then probably something is going wrong uh, on that machine and you might do, uh, want to investigate uh, what's going on there. Um, so CloudWatch is really helpful for monitoring a machine. And then... Uh, Stefan, uh, what's the best thing to solve a problem in IT? So when a machine doesn't work anymore, what do you need to do? Restart it. Yes. Did <laughs> <laughs> so, you turn it off and on again, right? So that's the, the, the thing that solves everything. And that's a functionality that you have with EC2 instances as well, <laughs> of course. So basically, uh, let's quickly talk through the different actions that you can do with a machine. You can, you can start a machine. Starting a machine means you're... Uh, starting uh, a machine that you stopped before as you can anytime you can stop a machine when you mm -hmm. stop a machine uh, it stays around <laughs> basically so um, for example the everything that is stored on disk um, is still available you're able to start the machine uh, anytime you want to um, when you stop a machine Uh, you're stopping also paying for the machine because you're only paying for running EC2 instances. So when a machine is stopped, you're not paying for the virtual machine anymore. You're just paying for the used storage. That's another thing. <laughs> And then, of course, there's rebooting a machine. So when you have a running machine, you can just tell AWS, a reboot this virtual machine for me. And that's basically like pressing the reboot button on the machine. It tells the, the operating <laughs> system to do a reboot. And um, the... The fourth option is, I think it's a little bit misleading, the term, and uh, can also terminate a virtual machine. And terminate, maybe I would maybe say a better word would be delete, yeah, because that's really deleting the virtual machine. It stops the machine and then it deletes it. And after mm -hmm. you terminate a machine, you can no longer start it. So it's just gone, basically. There's an entry in the list of EC2 instances that keeps around for a while so that you know that something was there, <laughs> but you cannot do anything with that terminated machine anymore. So that's really important concept for beginners because so often I see people struggling with those 
the difference between stopping a machine and terminating a machine. And basically the important difference is terminating means delete and stopping is you can stop a machine. It's maybe better pause. That's maybe another term. Yeah, on hold, yeah. something like that. Yeah, And you can start it later. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's um, maybe important. Um, that's basically the life cycle uh, of an EC2 instance. And um, one other um, interesting aspect of EC2 instances is, so um, we, we discussed the instance types. So an instance type is, let's say you started a machine with M5 large, which mm -hmm. is a certain amount of CPU, a certain amount of memory. And now you notice, oh, I need a bigger machine here. I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't work. It's too slow. So the easiest thing is to just buy a bigger machine, right? And um, it's possible to change the size of a virtual machine with EC2. With EC2. And basically that works best. So there are a lot of edge cases there. <laughs> so a rule of thumb, it works best as long as you stay in the same um, instance family. So for example, you can switch from M5 large to M5X large or the other way around. To do so, however, you need to quickly stop your machine, change the instance type, and then start the machine again. So there's a short mm -hmm. downtime when you change um, the instance type. But that's um, still uh, very helpful. And changing the family is not possible or is more complicated? Um, if I remember it correctly... I'm not 100% sure here, but I think it is possible to change even the instance family, but it's not possible for all instance family combinations. So it's possible okay. for some of them. I think most of the families cannot be <laughs> changed, actually, uh, with some exceptions. Yeah. So what's also interesting, um, at least it was for me as a beginner, I can tell you a story. When I was starting with AWS, I launched a virtual machine. I logged into that. I configured some stuff, installed a web server probably because that's what I mostly do. <laughs> and then um, I went to lunch. And when I came back, I logged into the management console again and uh, the instance was gone. The list of EC2 instances was empty. And I was really scared. Oh no, <laughs> the work of the whole morning is gone. <laughs> I don't know. I, I did something <laughs> wrong. I don't know. I have, I have no idea what I'm doing with AWS here. Um, what happened is... And that accidentally, or that's basically happening sometimes, I switched the region in the AWS Management Console. So basically, I switched the location of the data center I'm mm -hmm. operating in or having a look at. And the current list of EC2 instances only shows the instances in a certain region. For example, you can choose Frankfurt uh, or, or Ireland there. And so that happened to me. <laughs> Basically, I, I switched <laughs> the region, then the list was empty. And after I switched to the uh, region back that I was using in the morning, the instance was, of course, still there. <laughs> so um, nothing was, uh, was happening. Um, and but that's a really powerful thing, um, not only behind EC2, but behind all of the services, is that as a customer, we are able to decide where to launch over to a machine. So we can select from a long list of data centers all around the world where we want to launch this virtual machine. And the process looks the same, no matter if you launch it in Frankfurt, if you launch it in uh, North Virginia in the US, or, I don't know, in Sydney 
in Australia, right? This is, that's the same thing over and over again. And that's, I think, at least for me, this was a really powerful experience. Well, I can do the exact same thing everywhere around the world in all the data centers that are available. And Stefan, can you think of reasons to choose a data center location? So what would you, so when you have a look at the list of AWS regions, so what do you think, what's the reason to choose one of those regions? Um, The first thing, obviously, as a web developer, is speed. Yeah. So if all of my customers are in the U.S., then I want to have my website hosted in the U.S. Yeah. Um, so the latency is as... Yeah. La latency yeah. matters, and basically the longer the line between uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the server and the client, um, the, the higher is the latency. There's no way around that. <laughs> so that's just yeah. physics, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's a that's an important one, definitely. Uh, did you have any other um, ideas? Why would you choose a certain region? Um, uh, obviously, um, also currently hot topic, I would say, is data protection, mm -hmm. data security. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I guess you want to have. Uh, service running in the EU if you are from the EU. Mm -hmm. So all the data is stored there. Or the other um, way around, probably. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or the other way around. <laughs> And then obviously, yes, just security. Um, mm -hmm. So you want to have to distribute it in different areas. So if one area is ah, completely a failure, okay. then... Yeah, okay. Yeah, that are two two important things. So one is um, you might be basically by law, data protection law, GDPR, what have you, there might be um, um, a rule that says you should process your data, I don't know, within the US, within the EU, whatever your country is. And basically by choosing one of the available data centers, you can make sure that um, the data that you are processing or storing does not leave those data centers in that specific regions, a region. That's an important thing. So we could call it maybe compliance. And the other is um, what you're describing is um, you are already thinking <laughs> about something that we are really discussing at the very end of our book. <laughs> But you're thinking about distributing your workload among multiple data centers to make sure if one data center um, has an outage, suffers from an outage, Another machine yeah. can take over stuff like that. Yeah, that's that's correct, of course. And then there's maybe a surprising um, factor for choosing a region for your EC2 instance, and that is costs. Because um, costs are different in the different regions for the same EC2 instance. Ah. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's, uh, I, I don't know exactly, of course, but it's probably because of different energy prices in different parts of the world, probably different yeah, costs for labor and stuff like that. So... Yeah, that's just a cheaper and more expensive region. <laughs> so that's mm -hmm. maybe also an uh, an aspect. Yeah, that's interesting. Is it so? So, but the costs are then like for all of the services. It's not like that. Let's say CloudWatch is here; <laughs> it's cheaper. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think there is a, a really rule for that. So, like. I don't know. There's no rule like there's 10% uh, discount in Ireland compared to Frankfurt or so. There's nothing like that. Mm -hmm. So it's really 
um, that pricing for the different regions is different for each service. So to some services from AWS, you pay the same no matter the, uh, the region you choose. Others like EC2, for example, you have different prices for different um, regions. So it's not really, I don't know, it, I, I think there's a, uh, um, a rule that you can apply <laughs> to calculate that. Okay. So it's just <laughs> different for, for each um, of those services. Yeah, but there are a huge list of services really available. And so I actually, when I'm when I, uh, free written the chapter for the third edition, I was updating the list of EC2 instances. And then two months later, it's already outdated, right? So <laughs> there, 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 are, there are regions, data centers um, going online, I would say every quarter or something, and they announce the next ones already. So this is really growing fast and they are basically covering uh, Europe, Asia Pacific, Africa, Middle East, US, of course. So I don't, I don't think there's much left <laughs> on earth that is not covered by <laughs> a nearby data center. Yeah. And, um, yeah, but that's, that's really powerful. And I have been using for many consulting clients that make use of that, that are really spinning up machines in different uh, data centers um, worldwide. So that's a really powerful concept. Based on your experience as the, like for the EC2 instance, let's stay in the chapter. Are the prices there, um, are the price difference like in a 0 0.00 <laughs> cent uh, region or is it more like, I don't know, one cent per hour? <laughs> That's a very good kind thing. Of thing. We can quickly look it up. So I don't know it um so let's quickly check it. So, um, for example, an easy to instance, uh, let's say M5 large, that's the one very popular one. That's why I'm talking about that all the time. So this costs um, about 10, U or it's basically 9, 9.6 US cents per hour in US East North Virginia, which is probably one of the cheaper regions. Mm -hmm. So let's compare it. So... Uh, 9.6 US cents. And let's compare that to Frankfurt, um, where you pay 11 cents, 11.5 cents for the same instance. So it's a significant, or I would say it's a significant difference. It is, yes. <laughs> compared, to, okay, compared to what, but yeah, it is a difference, definitely. And um, yeah, that's why it might be interesting to choose another region for your workload. Of course, actually in 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 real world, um, most times costs are not the main concern when choosing a region. So for the for our clients, the most important region is um, data protection laws and regulations that they have to follow. Sometimes it's yeah. also for our German customers. It's more like a feeling <laughs> they want to have the data <laughs> yeah. sent in Germany because they feel it's kind of more compliant to GDPR. It's not more compliant than, for example, Ireland, but it just feels better or maybe. And um, I think that's um, oftentimes the most important aspect. And then I think latency is the other uh, important uh, aspect. On the other hand, if you do things like I have heard about, I've never done that myself, but if you're doing spinning up huge clusters for data analytics and stuff like that, it might be uh, worth the effort to transfer your data to another region 
and then be able to compute on that uh, more cost-effective. So that's definitely something that some AWS customers are doing. So I would <laughs> say it depends a little bit on your, uh, yeah, on your requirements. And pricing in general, um, just to, I, I guess we never talked about that, but like mm -hmm. if I book a service at AWS, um, let's say it's 10 cents mm -hmm. um, when I book it, um, how does the price change affect me? Like, is it instantly, like every month, like let's say um, AWS is increasing the price to 11 cents, um, do I have to pay immediately the 11 cents or do I have to accept it or um, how is this working? Okay, so you're asking about what happens when AWS decides to change the price for a certain service. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, so far... Um, there were a ver very, very few times when AWS um, basically uh, hired the prices. I think there are some, it's really in AWS history. I have not <laughs> really, I was not around <laughs> the, the topic, but I think they introduced a different pricing model for S3. I don't know if I remember it correctly someday because they just had an issue with the current pricing model, which was not, um, covering all the costs in their infrastructure. I think there was some of that. But typically what happens is that they are reducing prices, at least that what happens mm -hmm. so far. I'm a little bit concerned what happens under the current uh, economic situation where we have inflation and prices going up, especially for energy and stuff. So that yeah. might be interesting what, what's <laughs> happening in the next few months um, when yeah, energy prices um, rise and I, I, I guess they have contracts, very long running contracts with their energy suppliers, but someday they might run into issues where prices um, um, are rising there. So I don't know. I have no idea uh, into that inside into that business, but just my feeling. So, but yeah, typically they, they lowering prices and then they just announce that. And then uh, with the next beginning of the next month, those new prices um, are applied to your, AWS bill. That's what it's uh, happening. Yeah, uh, but but talking about pricing is another interesting thing. So we could talk about that for hours, <laughs> especially yes. even for easy two instances. But <laughs> but maybe so as a rule of thumb. So there are details to everything, but uh, except exceptions for everything. But uh, as a rule of thumb, you can say uh, Linux instance uh, on easy two is built per second. So you're really only paying for the seconds that an EC2 instance is running. The minimum mm -hmm. charge is 60 seconds. So if you're stopping a machine after two seconds, you're still paying 60 seconds. But after that, it's really for each second that the instance is running. Um, so that is, I would say, very, very fine granular and very interesting. Um, but um, the pricing model that is behind that so really paying only during the time where the instance is running. And um, this is called so-called on-demand instances. So mm -hmm. yeah, when you have the need, you spin up the instance, you start or stop the instance whenever you need, and you're only paying during the time span that you have been using the virtual machines. Okay, that's really flexible. Yeah, you're just using the capacity as you have the need for. Um, the downside of that is the price for that is high <laughs> compared to other options that is available, of course, because you have that flexibility and um, you also have to pay 
uh, for that. And then um, there's another concept to lower your EC2 bill, basically. That's what comes up after some time after you spin up some instances, you will think about lowering your costs, but it's typically a significant part of your monthly AWS bill. And um, a way you can reduce your EC2 costs is called savings plans. Mm -hmm. So what you can do with that, basically, what you do is you commit to a certain usage of EC2. So, for example, you say, I will be running, I will run an M5 large, same example, instance 24-7 for one year. And then um, you, you commit to using this amount of resources and you're also paying for that amount of resources, no matter if you use it or not. And... Uh, basically, the other side of the deal is you're getting a discount on the on-demand price. So that's how you can, um, yeah, that's the other pricing model that is available. So you lose flexibility and you get a discount on the on-demand uh, instance price. Um, significant discount. Depends on the details, but um, um, you're, you're getting a discount. And um, the other, um, there's a third option. Um, this is called spot instances. This is this is my <laughs> most favorite <laughs> way of paying for EC2 because it's the, the cheapest one. <laughs> uh, spot instances are really cool because basically what you do, so AWS has data centers with lots of machines and they have mm -hmm. a lot of spare capacity within those data centers. So just machines that are running where no virtual machines or not, uh, that are not utilized 100%. And with spot instances, you're basically using those spare capacities in the AWS data centers. And you get a discount on the on-demand uh, price of up to, so that's important, up to 90%. So that's, that's really huge um, uh, discount. Yeah. But there are some buts here. <laughs> so first of all, <laughs> the, the price for the spot instances um, is not is not static. It's a flexible price that changes over time. So when you look into different the different data centers worldwide, you see basically like in the stock market, you see the price chart going up and down. It's not as crazy as in the stock market. It's it's grows uh, it grows and um, shrinks very slowly. <laughs> but there is a um, there's basically an effect of um, how much is the demand for the compute capacity and how high is the price? So there's, there's, it's, um, it's not a real market, so you're not really yeah, bidding for stuff and stuff like that, but it, it, it's, yeah, the price is, is changing uh, based on demand. Okay, so that's one aspect. But on average, the discount you get is up to 90%. So that's important still. And then there's another uh, thing that you need to be aware of, which is, when you start an EC2 instance, a spot instance, um, AWS has the right to terminate your machine when they need it back. <laughs> so, for example, uh, I am using a spot instance, uh -huh. and now you in your account are launching an on-demand instance, and AWS has no capacity left. So then what AWS can do, it can terminate my spot instance to be able to fulfill your need for an on-demand instance. So that's what happens. 
So when you run a spot instance, it's possible, it's not very likely, but it's possible that AWS will terminate the instance um, to be able to yeah, have that capacity back for someone else. You get a two, minute, two, two minutes before AWS terminates your instance, you get notified. <laughs> so your machine can handle that notification if you want to. Um, but yeah, but that's the thing. So what are scenarios where it makes sense to use an instance that might be terminated <laughs> within two minutes after notice? That would have been my question, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, can you give you a very good... So I'm coming back to the same example. So Bucket AV, our solution to scan S3 buckets for malware. Mm -hmm. this, this is basically um, an asynchronous process. So you upload a new object to S3, and then in the background, our solution starts to download the file, check it for malware, and then uh, send back a result. Yeah? So in that scenario, um, with an asynchronous workload, or we might also call it batch processing or something like that, um, it doesn't really matter if the machine gets terminated as long as you keep track of the jobs that you need to run. You can just repeat the same thing again on another machine uh, in case one of the machine gets terminated. And that's why we are using spot instances for bucket AV uh, by default, because yeah, it's really cheap. The infrastructure for the virtual machine is really cheap compared to the others. And it doesn't really matter to um, rerun a job because the instance has been terminated. And there's um, a website from AWS, um, even where, where they have basically, they analyze the data from the past and they tell you how likely is it that a spot instance of a certain instance type in a certain data center gets interrupted by such a termination. Yeah. And it's typically very unlikely, but it depends a little bit between the instance types and the regions. Okay, so um, I guess to, if, if I can wrap this up, uh, on-demand instance is basically I, as a customer, have the full safety and control mm -hmm. um, because I can terminate it um, whenever I want. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously I have to pay for that, for that flexibility. Mm -hmm. Uh, saving plans is basically I get a discount and AWS has the safety security that this instance is taken for the time period mm -hmm. I am having the saving plan for. Um, and spot instances is basically me walking into the bakery um, before it's closing <laughs> and asking for the last bread and they are like, okay, here it is. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So it's a huge bakery. <laughs> they have a lot. Of <laughs> yes, yes. It's possible that it, you are. It's running out of bread or instances. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, Not every day there's a bread left. <laughs> yeah, totally. And maybe one important aspect about the savings plans is that with savings plans you can decide whether you want to pay for the one or three year term upfront uh, or not. So you can really pay your whole machine three years in advance which of course mm -hmm. gives you the, the highest discount or you can decide to pay only half of it um, one year in advance or you don't have to pay anything up front. You're just committing to do so. That's also possible. But that's also an interesting financial instrument. So for some companies, it's very interesting to have huge costs this year and no costs next year 
for some reasons. Yeah, you know those budget yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, <laughs> so that's another thing you can do with savings plans. Okay, okay. So that's that's about costs. So I think the the thing I really like most is the spot instances. It's really a powerful tool. And I don't think you. So there are not many. So this is not an option you have in your on-premises world or in a hybrid or private cloud environment. So this is really something you're getting at those huge cloud providers with a lot of capacity. There you have those options, and this is really uh, powerful, um, also cost-wise. Okay, Stefan, so we talked about a lot of um, the details of the EC2 service, so the service that allows you to spin up virtual machines uh, on AWS. I hope you enjoyed <laughs> all the details about pricing and stuff if <laughs> you ran into uh, those rabbit holes <laughs> a little bit. Um, As always. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's a powerful service. It's really the basic service. Uh, one of the basic services on AWS is easy to. And you can do a lot of things with it. I'm using it, I would say, daily probably, yeah, because I'm I'm running some um, workloads or starting a, a machine quickly there. Uh, it's really powerful. Sometimes I'm using even it for personal stuff, so I'm sometimes using it to spin up a virtual machine as a VPN server somewhere in the world, stuff mm -hmm. like that. So, yeah, you can really do a lot of things with that. Of course, legacy um, workloads are running on EC2 instances. So when we do lift and shift migrations from on-premises to the cloud, EC2 is the go-to service because you can just replace a virtual machine in the data center with a virtual machine in the cloud. So, yeah, it's really an important service. And when you get started with AWS, it's definitely something you should um, dive into. Okay. So, um, did you learn something new by listening to this podcast episode? May I ask you for a favor? Please tell your friends and coworkers about the Cloud on Out podcast. Also, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our work at Cloud on Out is possibly only because of your support. Therefore, we want to thank our supporters. With your help, we can continue to produce independent and high-quality content focused on AWS. If you are not already doing so, please consider supporting us with a one-time or recurring donation as well. You will find all the details in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon, Stefan, with another AWS To Go episode. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. It was a pleasure. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>